This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. We have our Good evening and welcome to Hooked, Joy 94.9's program about addiction. Research shows that the LGBTI community has addiction problems of at least twice that of the general population and we want to explore why and how this has come about. There are many suffering addiction, many more that are affected by those in active addiction and people that are grateful in recovery. My name is David. Hello David and my name is Russ. We're going to find out tonight some of the reasons behind this problem, are there pathways towards recovery and change, how does addiction affect loved ones, family members and partners of those in active addiction. We're not experts in these fields, but we are a couple of friends who both happen to be in recovery. We believe that there is a need for this conversation to occur in our community. That's right, Russ. And of course, if you'd like to join in that conversation, you can also follow us, Russ, on Facebook. Wow, we've got a Facebook page. Oh, yes, we have. It's under Hooked on Joy 94.9. I'm Hooked on Joy 94.9. We get 100 likes a day, don't we? Yeah, we do. Oh, a million. A million. A million. Yeah. Uh, but also you can subscribe to our podcast as well through whichever server you prefer, the iTunes or iHeart. We have got the best podcast to too. Yeah, we certainly do. By the way, if you're experiencing immediate problems or if content of this program raises issues that cause distress, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14, which is lifeline.org.au or Beyond Blue at 1300 which is beyondblue.org.au. How are you, Mr Gale? Look, I'm pretty good, actually. Uh, I've had a really busy day, as usual. I expect you have as well. I'm loving this new 8pm time slot to talk recovery. We are laughing. Yes. We've got lots to talk about tonight. What are we, what are we um, going to cover this uh, evening? Well, tonight we have a couple of guests in the studio, and this is very unusual because I don't think it's been done on radio before. What's that? But we have a couple of guests that are both currently at rehab. And we thought, well, you know, I, don't, I don't know anything about rehab. Now, I know you do... A, a little bit, Russ, but I have no idea. So, Why to me, yeah, to, means ago, love to me, my preconception is you go into rehab, you're strapped to a table with beautiful leather straps, of course. Uh, they inject you full of drugs, Goodness and then me. they uh, clip your testicles up to electrodes, and they give you electric shocks. So, I doll, wanted to find doll, out. You weren't. You were born in the 1960s. Well, by the <laughs> that's my vision like at the moment. Rehab. That's what I feel. Okay. Well, we're going to learn about a real rehab in a moment. Okay, so tonight we have Steve and Trent. Welcome to you both. Thanks for having us. Evening, guys. Look, you're both currently in a rehab, and I thought I'd start off with you, Steve. How on earth did you end up in a rehab? Uh, it was through a lot of hard work and effort, to be honest. Um, no, in, in hard all, work? A lot of hard work over... Uh, looking back, literally 20 years of, of abuse, and, and um, I suppose it started out as some really casual fun partying, um, it sort of got to later in my life and uh, things became really, really unmanageable. Um, I was really successful at work, um, externally a lot going on for me. 
Um, but internally really not coping with a lot of things and uh, you sort of leant towards the, the quick fix. Uh, got to a point, uh, would have been early last year, where um, I'd basically tried a lot of different ways to, to get a handle on it, basically. Um, and nothing. What was your demon? My demon, uh, in the end, it was alcohol. Yes. Yep. Uh, so daily blackout drunk. Mm-hmm. Um, so it got to the point where, I'd, like I said, I'd literally tried everything myself and nothing was really cutting it. Um, and it was put to me to have a go at rehab. Um, and I had all these preconceptions of rehab, uh, which I'm sure we'll go through later in the program. Yeah. Um, it w- it's been a long journey. Um, there's been a lot in between then and now, um, but wouldn't look back for the world, to be honest. Yeah. 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 And what about you, Trent? What got you to rehab? Um, so I started off... Uh, being quite socially isolated. Mm-hmm. Um, I experienced that throughout my entire life. Um, when I found drugs, um, first of all, alcohol, I was able to sort of get out of my anxiety state. And then when I found the big wide world of drugs and the people in it, I found other people just like me. Um, and it's only through that constant isolation that sort of brought me to my knees. And also those other people around you would have helped enable you, I suppose? Oh, 100%, yes. They definitely enabled me. Um, It got to the point for me where I was so isolated from society that I didn't know what to do anymore. Um, It was definitely my choice um, to go to rehab. I knew it needed to be done. It was your choice. So nothing, nobody else externally said, hey, you should try rehab or anything. My dad, dad for sure, he mentioned it. Um, but Dad was very supportive. He he waited until I was ready. He knew that nothing could be done until I was ready to take that leap. How old are you, Trent? I'm 30. 30. And um, when did you have your rock bottom? Um, I had my first rock bottom when I was 27. Okay. I went to rehab for the first time at the start of 2017. Um, and I started this second rehab uh, six months ago. Wow. And Steve, how old are you now? Uh, 39. And your rock bottom, tell us about that. Uh, rock bottom for me probably wasn't a point in time like many people talk about. Mine was a, a real period of time uh, where nothing was nothing was really working for me. Like I said before, the the externals were all there, um, but emotionally um, and mentally just, just really not coping with a lot of things um, and, and acted out on that as well in many different ways. Now, you both talk about isolation and, and that's quite common before someone arrives in rehab. I know for me personally, I um, was sitting at home, uh, wasn't working, uh, drinking 24-7, um, not hanging out with family or friends, so it was it was very, very lonely. Um, what do you think, um, ha- how did you get there? Did you ever wonder how you got there and what am I doing with my life? For sure, yeah, Yeah, 100%. I think the worst thing about isolation and people going through social isolation is nobody wants to isolate. Mm. They just don't know how to get out of that isolation. And for me, for sure, I think that I I was in isolation from a very young age. So I never really developed the social skills to get me out of that. It's funny too because our best thinking gets us to that point. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so, you know, we're, we think that we're making actually all the right choices in addiction, certainly, and that's where we end up. Um, how many attempts? You, you mentioned two attempts yes. of rehab. So this is your second attempt yep. and it seems to be going well. Steve, how many attempts have you had of uh, rehab? This is my fourth since June last year. 
fourth. What yeah. what makes this one a little bit different? Do you think? Uh, this one, in hindsight, it's a wonderful thing. I say it quite often. Uh, but this one, one hundred percent, is for myself. Um, in the past, I've uh, initially, I, I think, I probably went to rehab. Uh, almost to tick a box to make the, the loved ones, the people I care the most around me happy, uh, which is, is incredibly common. Um, ultimately, the people closest to me weren't enough to keep me clean and sober, mm. um, whereas this time it's hell-bent selfishly about me, which almost sounds like addictive talk to itself, but um, it has to be about me because if I don't have me, I've got nothing going on in the future. Because mm. I think I've heard mul- stories about people multiply going in and it's sort of like, oh, you know what, I think I'll, I'll just go back to rehab and just dry out again mm. and that will please everybody around me. It'll please my husband or wife or family or yep. partner and the kids and it'll get them all off my back for a while. And so is that the sort of feel that you felt from those other attempts at rehab, the the, the reasons that you were going in? Yeah, so initially the whole drying out um, scenario is really quite attractive because... Uh, well, for me it was because in my mind it'd be a circuit breaker, you know, get away from the alcohol for a period of time. Yeah, well, you're drinking to daily to blackout as well. hundred percent. So I uh, went to the, a stage of detox and then you, I was able to convince myself to come out of that a little bit more educated around who I am, um, but not actually doing any real work on myself, uh, which is 100% what this stint in rehab is about for me right now. Did you find that um, in our... GLBTI community that um, it, it was very easy to become addicted to a drug. So we, you know, I, I in the um, 80s and 90s when I first came out, I mean, it was absolute heaven in Melbourne. I mean, there was a bar, a gay bar on every corner and we went out every day, night of the week and we drank and we drank and we drank until I went to rehab. Um, for you, did you feel as though, okay, yeah, I'm gay, I'm going to go out drinking and how did the... Um, how did the... Um, Sorry, I'm having what, somebody point it. Oh, life the pressures or? of life creep yeah. up on you. And yeah. I've just been told that Steve's not gay, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> He's pretty good looking anyway, isn't he? <laughs> You're only human, you know that. <laughs> well, the pressures of being straight. The pressures of being straight. <laughs> David's face then was priceless. Uh, look, in all honesty, I think we all, we all face the same sort of pressures. Like We all fall into the same, um, for lack of a better word, the same rut. Um, And that's one thing which I hope we get across in the program today, um, breaking down the stigma of rehab, is we are all real people at the end of the day. Um, The the variety of people I've been through rehabs with is poles apart. There is, I've I've not met a single walk on life that I haven't met in rehab out in the real world. Yes. So I think you said to me earlier tonight that you've met uh, CEOs. Yes, yeah, I've been through rehabs with everyone from CEOs. Um, also, guy, uh, two of them were, two other guys, not where I am now, obviously, uh, were fresh out of jail for murder. So it's uh, an absolute the gamut of the, the general population. Well, we know that addiction affects people from somebody sleeping on a park bench right up to the very top. So, yeah. Um, so I was going to ask what happens when you arrive. But what happens on the night before? What about the night before you went into rehab, Trent? What was that like? On both nights before I went to rehab, I couldn't deal with my emotional state. I knew that it needed to happen. I was doing it for myself. Sure. But the only thing I knew how to do was to get out of myself. So this particular rehab that I'm in now, the night before, I got very stoned. Yeah. Yeah. Quite simple. 
completely understand where you're coming from. What about you, Steve? What did you do on the night before, let's say, the first rehab? Uh, the first one uh, was a write-off night. I went into the, the rehab the next day. I think I blew point two something yep. uh, around lunchtime. Point two? Yeah, that's, second... That's pretty hammered. It was uh, a solid effort. Uh, the second one was a little bit funnier. Um, I actually <laughs> thought I was in a, an okay state to drive in. I luckily didn't drive. Uh, I caught an Uber in and blew 0.17, I think. But that wow. was just the the mindset that I was in at the time. I thought everything was fine. I felt fine. Obviously, my, my tolerance at the time was quite high. Um, so I'm glad I didn't drive into that one. Uh, the next two, uh, coincidentally, I'd come straight from the Alfred. So um, had a lot of... Uh, hadn't, had a, hadn't had a drink for a while, uh, being 12 hours, I guess. Mm. Um, but uh, sedated, quite heavily sedated at the time. So is it a bit like a last hurrah or... Because, you know, oh, you know, I'm going into rehab. I'm not going to be able to drink or take <laughs> drugs or whatever. Yeah, everyone's different from what I've found. Uh, some people go out with a big bang. Uh, the first one I did, the last two I was quietly shitting myself, to be honest. Yeah. And as There's you mentioned before... There, heaps of fear, Absolutely. massive driver. I know I was... Um, I kept ringing my rehab on the day that I was due to go in there and asking them what time was the last time I could check in because <laughs> uh, I thought I was going to some classy hotel. So I'd be, <laughs> I'd be calling them every couple of hours while I'm sipping on a couple of bottles of wine at home and saying, oh, what's the last time I can get there? And they said, <laughs> you know, they said if you're not here in an hour, don't bother coming. Yeah. Well, that's not very <laughs> nice. And as you mentioned before, Trent, you were just trying to get rid of that that uh, edge on the, uh, what, do you think the fear and the anxiety? Of it was, yeah, deep fear of it, yeah. Because you don't know what's going to happen, of course. Well, this time I knew what was going to happen because this is my second time mm -hmm. in rehab. Um, I feel that this time around it was almost sort of like a little kiss on the cheek goodbye to my <laughs> drug of choice that has yeah. served me in the past mm. that I know doesn't serve me any anymore because there is an answer. <laughs> We've had a couple of messages come in tonight. Have we, Russ? Yeah, which is pretty exciting. We've had somebody who says, I follow you guys on Facebook, which is absolutely fabulous. And uh, another one, I love your work. Okay, well, that's very nice of you. Thank you very much. And, um, yeah, quite interestingly, um, alcoholism does not discriminate. And we both, I think everybody on the panel tonight can agree that uh, a fine white wine doesn't matter whether you're gay, straight, bisexual or anything. <laughs> you, um, If you don't... Um, if you don't know how to drink moderately, you should be in a rehab. Maybe. 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 Well, if you decide to go into one. And I think that was one of the points that I got from both of you was that it's got to be your decision. Yep, 100%. Yeah. Hey, um, so you arrive at rehab, um, you know, as I say, I, th I think they're going to strap you up and fill you full of drugs. But is there a detox process? For, well, they're going to check you in. What, what happens at check-in? Yeah, so David, there's no testicle tasers, unfortunately. No. <laughs> um, so I think you know you hit the nail on the head before. Uh, the, the first step to, to going into a rehab is to make sure that the person is 100% on board. Um, throughout this whole process, I've had a number of people come up to me and say, um, you know, my son, my partner, my blah, blah, they're, they're advocating for someone to get them into a rehab. Mm. Um, fantastic. I understand they're coming from a place of love, but at the end of the day, unless the person wants to go and they've, they've had enough, they're broken, whatever it is, they won't be there. Um, when you physically get to the rehab, depending on your circumstances, you may be put into an initial detox program. 
Um, I've done a few of those. Uh, clinical detoxes, so it's under the supervision of a doctor, uh, which typically involves uh, things like Valiums or, or whatever to come off the cravings uh, and the, the physical that, addiction. It's also not just the cravings because there is a physical reaction as well. It's like if I'm drinking to blackout every single day, yeah. uh, my body's going to do something if I stop all of a sudden or if I'm taking uh, opioids or if I'm taking um, uh, meth or something like that, surely the body's going to do something really quite amazing when you're suddenly, whoops, there's no more of this. So that can be what, violent or it can be uh, convulsive or, or what, are they, what are they trying to do? I mean, I'm, I don't expect you to be doctors. but No, no, so I've, um, I've got personal experience in this where I dried out a little bit too quick once and uh, seizures are, are very mm. common uh, to the point where of, uh, they can actually be deadly. Uh, so that's where detoxing under the supervision of a doctor is really important. Um, often with uh, nurse care 24 hours around the clock or, or whatever it may be. Um, so it's definitely something to leave to the professionals at that point. Did you have a detox experience as well, Trent? Not in rehab. I okay. detoxed out of rehab, thankfully. Mm. So you can do a detox at home? You can, um, but it's, it's definitely not recommended. Yeah. Um, I feel as if people need, they really need that support to get through the detox properly. To give our listeners an idea, I mean, I know before I went to rehab, I was um, a daily drinker um, and drinking three bottles of wine and, and half a bottle of vodka a day. What, we, what would you be consuming on a, on a day before you decided to dry out? Uh, before I went into the first rehab, three, four, five bottles of wine a day, quite or easily, I should say, wasn't working at the time. Uh, and stopped work for family reasons, and it just gave me all the free time in the world. And what time would you start drinking? Uh, depending on the day, if I woke up at three in the morning, it would start then sometimes, if not six, seven, eight, yeah. and then ongoing until evening. No reason not to drink. No. Mm. And yourself, Trent? Mine was much less structured than that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, it involved a lot of marijuana, probably about seven or eight grams a day, right. um, about a gram of ice a day, and anywhere between half a bottle to a couple of bottles of scotch a day too. Wow. Wow. Um, and isn't it amazing that you obviously had the constitution of an ox and you could yeah. drink that much grog and take that many drugs and you could still function. It's yeah. Absolutely. Barely incredible. function, but still yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but still <laughs> put the perception that I, I can survive. And again, know? for me, well, I just found that I needed to do something for myself when I, um, I thought, shit, I'm going to kill myself. I woke up one day and I just sort of thought, you know, my body was falling apart. I knew that things weren't right. I, um, you know, I had alcoholic diarrhoea, I was sweating all the time, I, I had uh, massive shakes, um, but something in this head um, told me it wasn't the grog that was wrong with me, but I, um, through sheer fear, I thought, I'm going to die. And so that's when I rang my doctor and said, hey, I, I might have a problem here. What, what about you guys? Did you, in denial, you know, did you want to, did you want to stop? What made you decide that I've got to... I really should do something about this. Uh, personally, within myself, I got to a point where I was just tired. I was tired of. I was sick of feeling sick twenty four seven. Even you know, like I said before, the externals looking looking like I've got it all together and, and mentally absolutely not, and just it had had enough, and something needed to change. Yeah. Mm. And even with that amount of 
that amount of grog. I mean, it's amazing how you how you set yourself up for um, using or, or drinking um, your way, the way you want to drink. I mean, I know, I know in the end I sold my business, I'd, uh, so I didn't have to go to work every day and then I would wake up every morning and the first drink I'd have is I'd go to the fridge, I'd pour myself a schooner glass of a mixture of vodka, beer and wine, mix all of that together, scull it, and I think, ah, now I feel great, I'm ready to seize the day. I mean, normal people don't do that, do they? No, no, normal people don't hide alcohol around the house, and, you know, it's it's the plan. It's absolutely planning the day ahead. It's just, it's tiring. It's absolutely sickening and tiring. Yeah. Mm. Now, Trent, you've been to a couple of rehabs. Yes. Different styles of rehabs? Um, they're, they're quite similar, yeah. Um, the rehab I'm in at the moment is very um, communal based, which yeah. I think is a huge aspect of it. Um, my first rehab, um, we it, w- it was structured living. Um, there were anywhere between 20 or 25 of us and we um, did group therapy through the day together. Mm-hmm. Um, there were a lot of bail clients and then we all left that main premises and went and lived under the same roof at night time. Um, what are bail clients? Bail Just clients, for the listeners that aren't sure, uh, people who are locked up for various reasons, and they get the opportunity to come to rehab, and they take that opportunity. Okay, yeah. Um, and then, what about you, Steve? Because you've been to a few different rehabs. Um, what are the different styles of rehab? Yeah. So uh, the first two rehabs I did were very clinical based. Uh, the third and fourth, uh, they're a twelve be- a twelve step based uh, program. Uh, they're also the one I'm currently in is the same as Trent here. Uh, it's a, it's what we call it what's called a therapeutic community. So we live a, as a group. Uh, an incredibly varied group of people. Uh, we're capped at 10 at the moment, so it's quite intimate still. Um, and within that community, we, we literally run ourselves from cooking, cleaning. Um, we have structure of daily meetings as well. We'll get down to uh, some of the more day-to-day life um, maybe after the, the next break. But um, so let's see, if I was shopping for a rehab... What well? What sort of rehab would I be looking for? What's what's the best model? Do you think? I feel the best model for a rehab would be someone who would take you through a rehab and explain it thoroughly, explain every aspect of it, and why rehab is so important. Um, I, th- I really do think that the whole thera- therapeutic communal aspect is massive. That's the biggest difference I've found in the two rehabs. So put that on the top of the list, therapeutic community. I definitely as think the style. so. I yeah. mean, that obviously works for the both of you. Yeah. Um, what, what sort of thing, in hindsight, would you be looking for, Steve? Um, I think ultimately my experience, um, the difference between a good rehab and a great rehab is... A good rehab will get you to the end of your stay there, so 30 days, 60, 90, whatever it may be, and say thank you, off you go into the real world. A great rehab will say thank you for your time here, now the hard work starts and here's the ongoing care that you're given, the contact, the the therapy, Um, so it's not a, a, a tap on the bum and off you go. That's brilliantly said. Yeah, yeah. I agree with that one hundred percent. I think um, I know the rehab I was in. We um, we just were 
left to our own devices. And if I wasn't introduced to um, Alcoholics Anonymous, for example, um, I know I definitely would have left that rehab and, got, and gone out drinking because the rehab I went to has a pub across the road and one down the street. Mm. And so I, I can remember that day leaving there and, and thinking, okay, well, you know, I've... I've been uh, um, dry for two weeks now. What do I, what do, I do? And I was Which way do I go? Absolutely. Mm, turn left or turn right? Do I go to the pub across the road or do I go to an AA meeting? And I chose AA and here I am all those years later. But you're right. You need to make sure that there is excellent follow-up after, after you've been in rehab. Yeah. And I think one of the most important things as well to look out for is um, when a rehab teaches you basic life skills. Because we come from a world that's so isolated and we don't learn these basic skills, a rehab to teach us these basic skills so we're comfortable mm. looking after ourselves when we step out is very critical. How did you guys go? My, my fear was people. So, you know, I would... Um, yes. Yep. I drank myself silly so I could be um, a social butterfly and to, you know, be everyone's best mate and all of that sort of stuff. I, I, you know, the first thing that I couldn't believe when I arrived in a rehab was that they wanted to breathalyse me. I'm like, what the hell? And, you know, and of course I'd been drinking all day. Who do so you think you are? Alarm bells, <laughs> alarm bells. Yeah, going, yeah, yeah. And um, exactly. But then this whole concept of, um, oh my God, I'm going to have to live with, um, with 10, strangers. 15 strangers. Yeah. I've got to talk to them every day. I found that absolutely terrifying. How did you guys go with that? Um, I found it terrifying at the start too because I've got a very big fear of people in social situations. It's yeah. still rampant these days. Um, that's that's where the therapeutic community comes in. When I, when I walked into the doors of this rehab that I'm in now, they, they were so welcoming and so understanding and they could meet me on my level of social capabilities. No, what about you, Steve? Yeah, so it never, it never got easier walking into a fresh rehab. Um, you walk in with your soul bed, so guilt, shame, remorse, everything is out on the table. Um, you don't know what to expect. Um, you walk in with these preconceptions as well of, of, of who could be there um, and what sort of people are going to be there. Uh, I think because of that, um, I'm naturally attracted to people who come who, who start within the rehab. So I actually go out of my way to make sure that they are feeling welcome, feeling safe. Because people that walk into a, a rehab are really vulnerable. They're at a really low point in their life and mm -hmm. in a foreign environment. Let's be real. Now I've got a message, and it says, "Hi guys, you are the best. Loving your work from Aid. Thank you so much for that message." And you've got and some messages there as well, gentlemen or lady, I should say. Um, Five six zero has sent in a message, and the boys will be able to answer to this for us. Yeah. Did you find it um, better in a small group rehab um, so you can know you can trust everybody or um, is it better in a bigger group where you can be a little more anonymous? I really feel that the small community is much better. You, you can you can get more intimate with less people, mm -hmm. although it's, it's important to have witnessing for when you're going through past traumas or what your struggles are. Um, but I really feel that um, the small communities just really hit the mark for me. Okay. What do you think, Steve? Yeah, <coughs> sorry. So I've been in uh, rehabs where there's 25 plus people. Uh, the one I'm in currently is 10. Uh, so I absolutely believe the smaller communities overall uh, benefit me more. 
Um, having said that, I can see some of the, the benefits for a larger community, given the diversity, the, the depth of experience of, of people's problems and addictions. Um, but where I am right now is where I need to be, in a, in a much smaller, more intimate community. Uh, the guys that I live with, I know them inside out, they know me. Um, and we're also able to call each other out on our bullshit when we start talking about, um, you know, sort of sort of misgu- misguiding uh, discussions around our emotions or our feelings or, or how we're going mentally or emotionally as well. Now, what medical professionals have you got in there with you? Is it, um, you know, obviously you, it, um, when you're choosing a rehab or your doctor refers you to a rehab, what, what, what should you be looking for? Is it is medical people that are going to look after you, eh? I think one of the most important things are for the staff members to be in recovery themselves. Ah, that good. For them to be able to help us and meet our needs because they've experienced it themselves. Well, you also mentioned that you're with a tighter group of people in a smaller rehab, and you know, either way. What, whatever happens, you're going to be with, um, what, your tribe? You're going to be with other people that are trying to attempt recovery. So, And you're also extending that further to the professionals that are there that have been down the same sort of journey. Yeah, 100%, yes. Yeah, so we've uh, we've got a host of people working with us from counsellors to support workers, uh, addiction specialist, doctor as well, uh, all of which are in recovery themselves. Uh, they've got a fair number of years under their belt. Uh, there's a couple I can think of with uh, one in particular 30-something years um, after their own addiction issues. Okay. Uh, look, we, we were going to talk about the day-to-day thing. So you get up in the morning and, what, you go straight into a big circle and start singing Kumbaya. <laughs> do, you have to, do you have to make breakfast? Do you have to do that sort of stuff yourself or do they serve it up on a tray? No, no, no. That, that, that basic stuff, um, life skills, we do ourselves. Mm-hmm. They tell us what we need to do in the morning and we make sure it gets done. So, for example, um, we usually wake up at about 7 o'clock between the hours of 7 o'clock and 8.50, we have to have cleaned our room up to their standards, yeah. which we've never learned how to do before. Yeah. Um, shower, breakfast, and maybe a bit of social socialising before a morning meeting. The whole day is quite structured. Mm. When, 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 when you first come to rehab, you feel that it's unstructured. You feel that there's too much time to ourselves, but you slowly fill in those gaps with things that you know you need to do. And getting back to what you were saying, Trent, about how people turn up at these rehabs that don't have life skills, um, we are talking about people... Um, I, I know for myself, I started drinking when I was 14, and really when I got um, sober when I was um, um, 42, I really felt as though that I had a lot of characteristics of a um, 14-year-old. Um, yep. And so I had to learn life skills. And so stuff like cooking and making a bed or, or um, even just being able to sit opposite somebody and have a cup of coffee in the but morning is really hard, isn't it? Yeah. It really is difficult. I know that one of my biggest struggles, a couple of my biggest struggles are communicating with other people uh-huh. comfortably and cooking is a big one. Mm. And I particularly love cooking with Steve <laughs> and this is where it's so important having a supportive community because Steve knows that I'm no good in the kitchen, but he makes it fun for me. He mm. makes me want to learn how to cook. I think that's a big part of it. If, if you're pushed into something and you don't find the benefit of it and see it as enjoyable, because mm. life skills should really be enjoyable, I feel. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 So after you've gone through that process, um, as I said before, Steve, it's straight into a group circle of Kumbaya. 
Uh, not quite, Dave. You're not quite there yet, mate. Uh, so after we basically land ourselves for the day, uh, we break into what we call just our house meeting. So in that meeting, we talk about daily shopping needs. Uh, we talk about who's got what chores for the day. Uh, so we're basically setting up our day. It sounds really simple, which it is, but it's so important to get that structure for anyone who's in early recovery. Because in addiction, you never had a structure. You day. don't have structure. You've got complete chaos sometimes. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so following the, the daily planning, almost planning meeting, I'd call it, uh, we break into daily chores. So we've divvied that up within that early meeting. Uh, we take a, a specific amount of time uh, and it's quite disciplined. So no one's allowed to smoke, uh, eat, uh, go to their room and make their room. It it's literally is quite strict and structured at that point. Uh, from there... After uh, often uh, the staff will come through to make sure the cleaning is up to standard. Uh, where it's not, obviously it's called out. Uh, and then we have uh, probably a 15-minute break and then that's when we start our first process group for the day. What's a process group? So process group, in short, is a daily check-in of how you are menti- mentally, physically and emotionally. Uh, so people often will speak about uh, smaller things such as, you know, they've struggled sleeping or they haven't got an appetite all the way to some very deep personal, uh, some personal uh, issues they've got going on at the time. Um, and the process group is, is really organic in the way it grows. It's, uh, it's chaired by a, a senior counsellor. Um, and everyone within that group is, is given the opportunity to give feedback to each other. Mm. Um, it's a safe environment. Um, people often speak about things that they have never, ever spoken about to even the closest people in their lives. Um, and we're really privileged to, to be part of that and then also to be there for support for the, for, for the other uh, people within the house. And that stuff's all about identifying with another human being that you're not the only person in the planet. Yeah. Because often with that isolation process that you were talking about, Trent, you feel like you're the only person around that's got this problem. Exactly right. Yeah. I thought yep. there was something fundamentally wrong with me to the point where I couldn't be fixed. Mm. And then when I start communicating with other people, especially in process therapy group, it's just... it's. It's so relieving knowing that other people are going through the same struggles as I am. And it makes a big difference as I go through my particular struggles, especially the deep ones. If I'm able to help someone else who's going through those particular struggles too, it makes it that much more worthwhile to me. And I like what you're both saying with your particular rehab, that, you, that you, the people who um, are looking after you at the moment are, are really peers, aren't they? I mean, they've, they've, they've been in recovery, so all they can do is show you how they got sober. And I like the idea that they can yeah. call out your bullshit because exactly. they know yeah. your language <laughs> yes. and they know exactly what's going on. Exactly hey, right. Um, just before we get to other things that you do there, I was just wondering, like, after that process group, let's say we're getting up towards lunchtime... Um, can I SMS some friends and uh, check out Facebook and do all that sort of stuff? Tell me about a phone in, in a rehab. Uh, very a good phone? question there, David. <laughs> so depending on the rehab, depends on the uh, the privileges, as they're called. So I've been in rehabs before where there's such thing as no uh, no sugar, no coffee, no caffeine, no lollies. Uh, where we are at the moment, uh, there's basically a, a, the initial 28 days um, you, you have your phone taken off you. You've yeah. got restricted uh, privileges in terms of where you can walk to. Uh, you need to be... Uh, if you're going to walk to the shops, you need to be accompanied by someone. Um, every rehab will have a slightly different set of rules around that, um, all for 100% the right reasons. There's reasons we don't uh, we don't have phones within the first 28 days and other rehabs go down the path of uh, no physical exercise, uh, no coffee, etc. 
So um, at some point around about the 28 days in this particular place, they're saying, OK, we can trust you enough. But at the same time, the privileges that you receive, you could easily have rescinded as well. Totally. It's completely monitored. There's still rules and uh, regulations around uh, what you can and can't do with your phone. So where we're at the moment, uh, we're, not, we're not, not able, sorry, to have... Um, our mobile phones within communal areas. Um, it's for a variety of reasons, for anonymity, because uh, given there's, there's cameras on phones, uh, privacy oh, yeah. as well. Uh, but then there's also, uh, you know, people can see it as a temptation to be, you know, calling uh, calling mates or hookup deals or whatever it may be. Uh, for, I suppose, negative behaviours, uh, it, it, really, it can really entice that at times. So it's really heavily monitored. Mm. Now, we've had another message. Trent, you received it. I did. I uh, sent my dad a message saying, what do you think of the show? He said he thinks it's absolutely excellent and Steve can talk a lot. So it's good <laughs> It's good that uh, Steve's being authentic because it's no different at rehab. You cannot shut him up. <laughs> uh, look, it's really interesting. I, and sorry to, um, to jump straight into this. I couldn't believe how supportive my family was when I got into rehab. And that really 100%. blew me away. I just sort of thought, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, you know, I've got a mother and a brother and blah, 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 and they couldn't give a fuck. Da, 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 da. Um, but it's quite the opposite. How did you find family reaction to going to rehab and support after that? You know, the, the reaction that I've received has been incredible. Um, we often say the the ones you love are the, the ones you hurt the most, but they were also the first ones to be there, mm. uh, whether it be partners or, or family or whatnot. Um, I literally would not be here today if it wasn't for the support of the ones closest to me. So I, I can't thank them enough for, for where I am right now. About you, Trent? Definitely the same. Um, it, it, it does bring a tear to my eye. Um, with the support that I've had from my dad um, and my stepmom, Nicole, um, it's just... It, it, it baffles me of how supportive they are, especially after the things that I've done. Particularly my first rehab, mm. I, um, I ended up stealing a lot from my dad and my stepmom. Mm. And... My stepmom was the one who paid for my first rehab. Wow. It's hard, isn't it? It really, it really is. Um, it's hard to live with myself with that. Yeah. Um, but being in the supportive community it's and, and the constant support from them, it's um, easy to deal with. I don't think anyone um, can fully understand. Uh, for, for me, um, getting sober was the hardest thing I've ever done and then going to rehab was the second hardest thing I've ever had to do. Mm. What I really fi- found interesting is that, um, you know, I was so glad that my rehab was Valium-based. So, um, you know, I, obviously they didn't want me to have um, um, an alcoholic seizure because I was coming up. Well, guess who was first in line at the drugs counter <laughs> every single morning? Yes, I'll have <laughs> ten of those, I'll have five of those. Yeah. Is, it, is, is that the case where you guys are or is it is uh, do you feel as though that you need the Valium now that you've been there for for a while or is it is it just what you really need is the support of your family and each other to keep you off the grog? Yeah, so where I am right now, uh, the support of the family is, is utmost important to me, first and foremost. Uh, there has been a time in the past, uh, like I said earlier, where the, the clinical detox was pretty much all I had. Um, there were, in hindsight as well, one uh, one of the rehabs actually came out from uh, with a, a really bad benzo addiction as well mm. uh, because I was first in line and I was pressing for more and more and more typical addict behaviour. Mm. Um, but along with experience comes, um, I suppose, the knowledge, knowledge around uh, sort of the direction I want to take with it all. And Steve, before I go to Trent, you... 
um, are on, was it your fourth rehab or fifth? Yeah, four, yeah. Yeah, okay. So what I find really interesting about this whole community is is there's, it's never frowned upon a bust or anything like that. I don't, uh, for me, for me, it's like, so what? <laughs> so what? You fell yeah. off the wagon, let's get you back on the wagon and do it all again. I, I mean, how do you feel about that? Yeah, so I had a, a massive bust just before Christmas last year um, and I've never felt so small in my life, so defeated, guilt, shame, remorse, all of that. Um, I was so, so broken. Um, and even just thinking now, I cannot think of a single person within rehab, within my close circle of friends, family, loved ones, um, that frowned. Everyone was just really shit scared for me. Mm. Um, even walking back into the rehab, um, I was actually open, uh, open arms and, and hugged on the way in um, from staff and, and the guys, uh, the residents there. And Trent, you got quite emotional talking about your um, your dad and your stepmom just then. Yeah. Um, and and not to not to belittle that in any way, but you um, you would understand now that um, that rehab is all about you. And it is. So tell us a bit about that and why it's all about you. It's it's all about me because I came to the realization that I deserve more out of life. I deserve a better life. Um, I was just stuck in this hamster wheel of. Like I keep on saying, Groundhog Day. Groundhog Day of isolation, and I just didn't know how to move forward. Um, My first rehab, I definitely did it for not only myself, but definitely my stepmom and my dad, and that didn't quite work. I have to do this one for myself so I can have a better life. And the direct consequence for that is that my family will be happy for me. Yeah, obviously. And you had the same sort of feel about your first time and maybe second time around as well, Steve. Yeah, so um, I've got a I've got a two-year-old daughter at home. She's, I know everyone says it about their kids, but she's the absolute most gorgeous, gorgeous thing on this earth. Um, and... It's so you couldn't help but want to do it for her. Well, that's the, that's the, the thing I have to wake up and deal with every day is she wasn't enough. Um, some people may or may not understand that. I actually feel stupid saying it, but I know within myself she was not enough to keep me sober. Um, whatever my life looks like going forward, it's, it's ratchet if, uh, if I'm still not dealing with my own issues. So this one 100% selfishly is about me. So, Steve, if you had a message to tell people um, that are listening to this show and um, you, you want to send them a message about rehab, um, what sort of message would you like to send them? If I had my way, I'd break down the the stigma of rehab. Rehab literally is for everyone. Um, Like I said earlier, I've I've been through rehab with people, everyone from life, from murderers a couple of times to CEOs of of global companies. Um, We are normal people. People with addiction are normal people. It does not discriminate. Uh, The stigma is also driven by a sense of fear, a fear of almost retribution of of how people are going to perceive you. Um, Once we get over that, the the world is ours. There there is so much help and support out there. Rehabs are not scary places. They are great confronting places to make you a better person. And what about you, Trent? What would you like people to take from this broadcast? What What would be the message that you have? I want people to know that it's okay to not be okay. Mm. To, to be socially isolated and to be um, completely hooked on drugs or whatever your poison is, it's once you identify it, it's okay. There is help out there and rehabs aren't that scary. They're sort actually of, amazing places. Sort of like, but what would the neighbours think and all that sort of stuff? You're, you're just saying, like, if you don't think you're travelling well, it's okay. You can actually let people know. 100%. And the support that I've found with 
people in general has just been absolutely amazing. As you said, with your parents. Yeah, yeah. The way I I view myself, especially when I first went to rehab, is not the way that other people view me. I might not be proud of myself, but everyone else is. What about uh, exit plans? Are they happening? Are they on the horizon at some stage? Or Yeah, so depending on the rehab and exit plan, uh, usually um, is a commitment of uh, whether you're going to be attending 12-step meetings, any aftercare uh, counselling sessions, um, a list of contact numbers as well to, to continue networking. Um, I was also at a rehab as well where I had to, it was a, a, just a handwritten contract to put down names of next of kin or immediate family uh, who were allowed to call counsellors on my behalf if I was to slip up. Mm. Um, how uh, useful that was in the end, or, you know, is neither here nor there, um, but an exit plan is about putting accountability back on not just the person but the people around them as well. Um, and I think that's fantastic for the family as well to give them that almost buy-in as well to someone exiting a program like this. I've heard that there's also rehabs where people that have left actually come back and actually talk and address people that are in the rehab so that they can see, uh, not necessarily example, but that there is a pathway for people in that sort of situation. So, um, Trent, just how important are these relationships that you're forming um, for your future. So you and Steve obviously get along like a house on fire and eventually one day you'll both graduate and you'll leave rehab. Um, you guys will um, swap phone numbers and and keep in touch, but how important is this interaction with other addicts and alcoholics? For me, it's absolutely critical. Um, I love Steve like a brother, I really do. Um, Steve's the sort of person, we, we're, very, we're very different people, mm. But I see so many qualities in him that I really admire. We get on like a house on fire and I really feel like we can be mates within years to come, even though there's a little bit of an age gap, but that doesn't matter. It really doesn't. There's so many people that I've met that I really cherish and I really want to be friends with in years to come. Some of the, the best people that I've ever met in my life have been in rehab. And they're sober and they're clean, And they're sober, and yes. And they don't need to use all of that. And Steve, lastly for you, you've, you've done rehab a couple of times. Um, what, um, what are your expectations this time? Are you, are you going to go out and, and leave and do a 12-step program or will you uh, grab onto a counsellor and, and a, a mixture of things to stay sober? Yeah, so it's, it's quite hard to say, to lock down specifically what I'm, I'm going to be doing, but I'm absolutely going to remember remain engaged uh, with the um, the rehab where I'm at now. Uh, 12-step program, carry that on, have a fantastic sponsor as well. Um, horses for courses, I get it. Um, every day I wake up is a different day. I've got different expectations. Uh, when I started this rehab, um, I initially signed up for 28 days. I'll be looking a lot longer than that now um, because I've left that door open. Um, it really is what I need when I need it. So I know it's all there. I'm going to take it. Okay, it's time for us to go. Um, thank you so much. Taser show, hasn't it, it has been a testicle taser <laughs> How show. Fantastic. Now I've just got one last message, yes. and it's from eight seven five. And this person is saying, "I existed when I drank. Um, I now live one day at a time with alcohol, and that's." That's well, fantastic. Absolutely. Uh, any final words, Steve? Do you want to say hello to anybody? Yeah, I'd like to give a shout-out to Barbara at uh, Refocus Rehab. Okay. Uh, thank you for everything, Barbara. And uh, definitely my parents, uh, Mum and Dad, you're out there, I know it. Thank you so much for everything. I would like to give a shout-out to my stepmom Nicole, my dad, Mark, and 
my mum, Helen, who just sent me a message saying how proud of me she is. I love you a lot, mum, and I can't wait to see you again. Thank you, Helen. We're all proud of you guys. Well, yes, we hope that you've enjoyed tonight's show and remind you that if you are experiencing immediate problems or if content of this program raises issues that cause distress, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14 or Beyond Blue on 1300 22 46 36. Now, it's very important to move away from self-destructive reasoning. Recovery involves breaking the cycle of addiction, removing the trigger of negative thinking and restoring us to emotional sobriety. One of the greatest highs in life is feeling good about ourselves. Always remember that none of us in this world are alone and the first step to recovery is just simply to ask for help. Yes, we want our community to be one of hope and look forward to your company next week as we continue to explore addiction on Hooked. Meanwhile, it's goodbye from Russ. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me, David. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to a Joycast from Joy 94.9. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.